0: week's episode, this is going to be episode two of our beginner series. And today we're going to talk about the different types of yeast you're going to run into as a beginning homebrewer. I also invited a a beginning homebrewer from the My Adventures in Homebrewing podcast. I invited Dan Matthews onto the podcast, and he's going to sit in and ask questions about how a beginning homebrewer should approach yeast on Homebrewing DIY. Get the cleaning results required in brewing. Drop a magnetic scrubber into your carboy and be able to scrub away all of the grime in that hard to clean crucin. They are no match for Scrubber Duckies, and you can get yours today at ScrubberDuckies.com. Once again, head over to ScrubberDuckies.com. Welcome back to Homebrewing DIY, the podcast that takes on the do-it-yourself aspect of homebrewing. Gadgets, contraptions, and parts, this podcast covers it all. On today's show, we're going to be looking at the second episode in our beginner series, and we're going to talk about the different ways you should approach yeast as a a beginner. We also have the My Adventures in Homebrewing podcast host, Dan Matthews, all the way from Ontario, Canada, and he is going to Join us on today's discussion and discuss the ways a beginner should approach yeast. It's going to be a pretty fun show. And I also even talk about a bit of a DIY project that is great for a beginner, and that is building your own yeast stir plate. So stick around. But first, I'd like to thank our patrons over at Patreon.com. Head over to patreon.com forward slash homebrewing DIY and give it any amount. It's your support week after week that keeps this show coming. Just so you know, right now, uh Patreon's really important to me, as well as our other way of gaining financial support, which is coffee.com. That's K O F I forward slash homebrewing DIY. I currently have a goal where I am trying to actually purchase a new mixer for the show. Where I think that it was going to really improve the overall sound of the show, and uh, you know, I have to get more support from the Patreon and Coffee's community to basically fund that endeavor. Uh, the goal on that is about six hundred dollars, so we're getting there. I'm about a third of the way there, just based on the the donations, ad revenue, and all of that that is coming in to the show. So thank you very much for your support. And these are the kind of things that that support buys directly. So once again, thank you. Another way to support the show is to use coffee, which is a one-time contribution. So that's ko-fi.com forward slash DIY, And you can go over there and buy me a beer. And it's a pretty seamless experience, but uh, you know, once again, thank you very much for all of your supporters who have given over at coffee. Another way to support the show is to, write us a review on podchaser.com or Apple podcasts. If you're listening to the show right now on Apple, all you got to do is scroll down to the bottom and hit us with a five-star review. It helps others find the show and we get really, really great feedback. And that feedback has actually made direct contributions to the improvement of the show. So always love to hear feedback from all of our listeners. Another thing that you can do to support the show is to head over to our website, homebrewingdiy.beer, and you can use our sponsor links. You can use Adventures at Homebrewing, you can uh, use Brewfather, or you can even buy a brew bag from brewinabag.com. Doing so doesn't change your prices in any way, but it lets those sponsors know that we sent you and they then in turn support the show. So head over again to homebrewingdiy.beer and use our sponsor links. And don't forget that tonight we have the Homebrewers Roundtable. Just head over to homebrewingdiy.beer and click on the Events tab. Tonight we have our guest, Brian Rabe from Low Oxygen Brewing. Pretty excited to have a conversation with him about the low oxygen brewing method. It's going to be a really good time. We have plenty of room for anybody who'd like to join. Just go and sign up, fill out the form. I'll get you a meeting invite to attend, and uh, it's going to be a really, really good time. If you listened to our bonus episode last week, that give you a bit of a taste of what those homebrewers roundtables are like so uh, join today that's homebrewing diy.beer and click on the events tab i uh, started working on my newest project which is rebuilding my ferment track controller i have purchased all of the parts and believe i am almost there i sat down to do it actually built up my esp8266 and went and looked at the instructions and looked at the pcb boards that i had ordered from pcbs.io and realized that i had ordered the wrong ones so i now have to do a reorder and i'm probably another month out so welcome to the story of Coulter's tragic life when it comes to his homebrewing projects right now uh, that being said always a good time It's just part of doing these a little bit more major homebrewing projects. They can be easy and fun, but with the advent of COVID-19, things when you order from China just tend to take a little bit longer to get here. So parts like components are just taken forever. It's kind of the world we live in today. Well, let's uh, jump right into today's episode where we're going to discuss yeast from the beginner level. And we're going to talk with Dan Matthews. I'd like to welcome Dan Matthews. Uh, He's the host of My Adventures in Homebrewing podcast. It's a new podcast out on Anchor and all of the other podcast sites. Uh, Welcome, Dan. How are you? Good, Colter. Thanks for having me on. Excellent. Well, thank you for coming on the show. And I'm excited to talk to you today about just the general fundamentals of yeast. This is part of my homebrewing for beginner series. Uh, Think of this as if you listened to our episode last week, this is going to be another step in that episode set. I think I'm going to end up doing about five or six of these episodes, and then we'll end up putting them all together in a little beginner series so that if uh, somebody comes in and wants to learn how to homebrew, you could actually just send them a link to this set of podcasts, and it would have a lot of the basics they would need to do. So, Dan, thanks for hopping on to talk to us about yeast today.
1: Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. This, uh, I'm relatively new to the game after being out of it for I don't know how long. And so, um, yeah, this is going to be a lot of fun.
0: Why Why don't we start off with that? Uh, tell us a, just a quick bit about maybe your brewing history and then how you ended up starting your podcast and why.
1: OK, so um, let's see. This is going to go back in the way back machine here. Uh, so going back almost 20... I hate to say this, but almost 20 years. Uh, my wife actually, when we were first married, bought me my first homebrew kit. And you know those kits where you got the plastic bucket and the uh, carboy, the spoon, and there was a floating thermometer and your hydrometer and all that, right? So my wife got me that plus um, a, um, the liquid malt extract that comes in a can. So... Yeah, that's how I got started. I tried making a couple batches that way. Uh, Did it make beer? Yeah, absolutely. Was it any good? Uh, That's up to interpretation. Um, Mainly mine, and I was just not happy with it. uh, Mainly because it didn't have a proper seal on it. I was using saran wrap go over the top and a piece of bungee cord to hold that in place. Trying to keep my dog out. Trying to keep my toddler out. And it was just like, oh, it was a whole lot of wrong And I gave up. So then come forward uh, 20 odd years later, um, I was getting ready to retire out of the the Canadian military. And once I did, I really wasn't sure what I was going to be doing. And I I am a beer lover. I've been to a lot of places through deployments and things like that. And I've tried a lot of different beers. And I found this really cool part-time job working at a brand new craft brewery about five minutes from where I live here in Ottawa, Ontario, called Stray Dog Brewing Company. And the guys that were starting it up uh, were homebrewers with our local homebrew club, The Mob, here in Ottawa. And I just kind of volunteered my time at the the start uh, just to help come Actually, help build the brewery because basically the, the tanks and all that, when I met the guys, hadn't even been placed yet. So I got a phone call one day, said, Hey, Dan, the tanks are showing up. We want to help us place them. Yeah, sure. Why not? Get another phone call down the way. Hey, Dan, we're cleaning the tanks tonight to get everything ready to be hooked up. You want to help clean them? Sure. Why not? And it just progressed from there. Uh, so about two years into being at Stray Dog, um, I got the itch to want to to brew again, but I knew I didn't want to do it with the malt extract in a can. So my boss, Justin, who's our brewmaster, I, uh, I just started picking his brain about all green brewing. Cause it's normally something you don't do is go from say malt extract, then take a long prolonged break. And this jump straight into to all green. It's usually a gradual progression um i kind of went about it the wrong way and i figured if i was going to do something and miles learned to do it the way i want to do it and went in full bore right off the get-go
0: i don't think there's really a wrong way to get into brewing and specifically all grain i'm i'm uh, of course a big fan of it but uh you know the journey we all take in brewing kind of gets us there however we get there right absolutely
1: absolutely um so once i got that done um yeah, I just started wanting to experiment with different beers. My first beer I did was a, a Bass clone, and I really enjoy English beers and German beers and things like that. And Bass, I remember growing up being... Once I was allowed to drink here in Canada, uh, uh, I remember Bass being one of those beers I really enjoyed. So I wanted to reproduce it. And so my first two beers were... One was the Bass clone, which... Uh, got a really a lot of nasty esters in it mainly because uh i really didn't know couldn't remember and i really didn't know a whole lot about temperature control and what temperature does to yeast and then my next beer i did i was a little more cautious with it and i made a believe it or not a blueberry cream ale which actually did quite well at a uh, homebrew competition
0: that that's awesome and uh how many batches are you in right now
1: Uh, since I started, so I think I'm about 15 or 16 batches in. Perfect. So right now, what
0: we're going to talk about today is a beginner's guide to yeast. And I think the approach here is, you know, Dan, I would say that uh, 15 or 16 batches in it would be still considered, you know, hey, I'm I'm still learning how to brew. Yes, you're an all grain brewer, yes. but there's still, you know, the 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 level of consistency that you're trying to get to is something where uh, that is where you are. Right. It's not just, hey, I want to make beer. I want to make good beer and I want to make good beer every time I make beer. Would you say that's kind
1: of your main goal right now? That is my main goal. Um, There are some recipes that I have. Like I have a really good pale ale, which is like a one hop pale ale. And the last time I made it, it was great. I did it with Amarillo and it was like by far one of the best beers I've ever made. And now I did the same beer again, but I changed it with Northern Brewer. It has a really nice easy taste at the beginning and then at the back end and you get a full kick in the teeth of pine. So I'm still trying to figure out where I went wrong with that one. It's drinkable, it's enjoyable, but if you're not ready for that aftertaste, it's going to catch you by surprise.
0: Yeah, and and that's kind of the thing is is that it's one thing to brew one good beer, it's another thing to brew beer that tastes good consistently. And I mm-hmm. think that that is the main goal of that to me is the difference between a good brewer and a great brewer, right? Um so let's dive into a discussion of yeast and really uh, what i'm going to do is i'm going to start talking about yeast today as if i were speaking to a brand new brewer who's beginning and dan if if there's something that you want to ask or if there's something that you would like to include into that please jump in and we'll have this discussion about uh beginning and yeast but basically. Let's talk back to last week's episode. If you were listening to the podcast, we, we talked about just, hey, we're going to go through brewing your first extract kit and what that process looks like. I actually sat down and, and knocked out how what that whole process looks like. And it took me about an hour to get through all of that. Holy crap. And yeah. And now what we're going to talk about today is a bit about what the process looks like when it comes to choosing the right yeast for your beers, because now let's say you're five or six extract batches in, Uh, maybe you've uh, gone extract and you've decided that you're going to go brew in a bag and you're already doing all grain yeast is just a component of the brewing process and there's a lot of different kinds of yeast we're not going to dive into you know the subtleties of the different uh types of white labs yeast on the lager side right that's not the intent here this is more about kind of determining what are the pros and cons of each type of yeast mm-hmm. via dry liquid uh or, or building a starter or to not build a starter. Right. This is going to be more of that kind of a conversation when it comes to the choices you need to make when you're building out your brewing process and why people might choose those types of decisions. So uh, that's what we're going to talk about today. Seem, seem like a, a fun topic for a podcast?
1: <laughs> it works for me. And then I'm always willing to learn new stuff and tricks. Awesome. So
0: let's talk about dry yeast. Because if you bought that, extract kit chances are it came with a packet of dry yeast Uh, every now and again you know it might come with a packet of liquid yeast because you're you you grabbed a, a really odd style that needs a very specific yeast but chances are uh at least for most homebrew beginner kits, let's say you you bought a, a pale ale kit, chances are you got a pack of fermentus USO5. I would say that's probably the most common dry yeast out there. Would
1: you agree with that? I would totally agree with that. SO5 is a beast when it wants to be.
0: Yeah, it, well, it's consistent, too. It's a, it's a great yeast. It, it brews very clean. And you get consistent results, and that's why they're in those beginner kits. It has to do with uh, SO5 is just the type of yeast that you can throw it's got a really large range in what it can temperature wise Mm -hmm. uh when you look at a so5 packet it it ranges all the way down into the upper 50s you can i believe go from 58 degrees all the way to about 72 or 73 degrees and be able to brew a beer without producing off flavors that's why whenever you grab a pack of yeast there's going to be a temperature range on it right and I think that one of the first things that any new brewer should do I'm not the kind of person that, like, picks something up and says, hey, read the instructions. But when it comes to a new yeast that you've never Mm. brewed before, this becomes very important because the yeast information on one of those packets is very important. It tells you the temperature range for what that yeast is going to perform at its most optimal level. You also want to check the date on the yeast. Um, If you have a really old packet of even dry yeast, it's not going to perform as well as a brand new fresh pack. And so also, if you're at the homebrew store and you're looking for a package of yeast, always try to get the freshest you can fresh yeast is always going to perform way better than any you know even though yes it it might have a 6 month timeline a package of yeast that's only a month old is still going to perform better than a package of yeast that's 4 months old it's just the way it works over time yeast dies it's
1: just it's not in a state I always thought SO5 needed to be fermented between 60 and 65 and at the high end would be 70
0: yeah, I uh, I believe that it's actually around seventy two is actually what the package says, but I may be wrong by a degree or two. I don't actually have a package of So five sitting in front of me, but it is it is does have a pretty high upper range. Okay. It does perform its best around sixty five would be my guess. But mm-hmm. the cool thing is is that the range on So five is so big that it's going to actually the reason it's on that package it's going to perform well at any of those temperatures. Right. Um, the thing is is that if you perf- if you do Fermented at a lower temperature, it will actually ferment slower. So, for example, uh, the te- yeast is going to be directly driven by temperature in the way that it actually ferments. So, you know, a, a beer that ferments at 70 degrees is actually going to ferment through the sugar quicker than a beer that is going to ferment at 65. But the problem is when you get into the higher temperature range of a yeast, is that what, a couple of things happen. When yeast, when when you're actually fermenting, the beer and the fermentation process actually creates heat. And so Mm -hmm. you may be sitting it in a room that says 70 degrees, but it may be actually 74 or 75. And so that's why whenever you talk to somebody who's an experienced homebrewer, they're like... I actually like to ferment around 65 is because that gives you a buffer. Even though the top range of the yeast is 70, it's going to give you a buffer of temperature to allow for the heat created by fermentation to not throw any off flavors or fusel alcohols or to actually get the beer to get proper fermentation. So that would be one reason why that's the kind of go-to temperature for SO5. But what, what the reasons that, I personally like to list out of why somebody would like to have a dry yeast and why I think dry yeast, even today, I've I've brewed for a very long time now. I still use dry yeast more than I use liquid yeast, and here's why. I'm at a place in my life where, you know, I can't plan out every brew day. Like I used to for, you know, hey, I'm going to be able to brew on Tuesday and I'm going to spend three days making a starter before that batch and getting you know, everything ready and having mm-hmm. this full pre-planned thing out. Right now, uh, I, have two to- I have a toddler, I have a, a kid in elementary school, uh, I work from home, I'm in the middle of a pandemic. I don't know when my next brew day is and yeah. the convenience of dry yeast is really the key for me. And it makes great consistent beer. And I know what I'm going to get when I throw dry yeast into it. So there's a lot to that. And a lot of my most experienced homebrewers, uh, there's been a frequent guest on my show. If you talk to uh, Ryan Packmeyer, he makes nothing but, well, he makes all kinds of beer, but I would say he's well known for making big beers, but he still uses a lot of dry yeast to make those big beers because of the consistency you can get out of it. So I was
1: listening to your podcast and I heard you talking to to, uh, Ryan about uh, his big beers and all that. Um, with your yeasts and all that, heat have a definite, sometimes either a good or a bad effect on how they, how they work and how they ferment and everything else. And I know that I th- if, I'm, if I'm remembering this right, is that um, if it gets too hot or whatever else, it'll start to give off off flavors, some nasty esters and possibly some diacetyl at the same time. And which could possibly turn out to being a bad beer. Am I wrong in thinking that?
0: So diacetyl is actually not something you're going to get from fermenting warm. Okay. Uh, diacetyl is actually going to be something that is cleaned up in the yeast later in fermentation. So the idea is after fermentation, they're gonna, your beer is going to clean itself up of diacetyl as part of that process. And that's why they call like uh, loggers, for example, do what's called a diacetyl rest mm-hmm. is because you'll warm the beer up to allow the yeast to cl- kind of clean itself uh, up. Okay. So, so one of the things that, uh, and, and I have friends that have issues with this, what they do is they, they, tend to get impatient with their beer as it's fermenting and mm-hmm. they'll test it and they might say that their fermentation is done in three days but you still want to give a beer a, a bit more time than that and a few days to clean itself up or else you're going to run into that diacetyl okay. there's also there's also what's called the diacetyl test uh which is a a great way to tell if your beer is actually finished mm-hmm. which is uh take a sample of your beer Right. Even if it's uh, let's say you're cold crashing a beer, or you have a beer that's uh that's chilled, or even if it's at, at room temperature, um, take a sample of your beer, throw it in the microwave for thirty seconds, and taste it. And if it tastes like buttered popcorn, it's not ready. So that's a that's a great way. It's gotcha. a great way to find out if uh, you have diacetyl in your beer. Is uh, just warm it up. Right. It doesn't need to be much warmer than room temperature. But once you throw some heat on it, it will definitely throw off uh, diacetyl if it's there.
1: Okay. Sounds good. Yeah,
0: But the other thing is is that with, uh, with fermentation temperature, what you're really pushing for is a couple of things. You, a, specific yeasts have a certain range. That's why back to you want to read that package. Yeah, You want to read the package because that range is scientifically tested saying, hey, we know what the range is. And these yeasts that you're going to get from any homebrew store are actually very well thought out yeasts. And they're thought out in a way... For consistency. And that's done on purpose, right? Mm-hmm. For example, there's a lot of Kvike yeast out there right now. And there's a lot of yeast out there that are uh, farmhouse yeast that uh, you might get from a farmer in Lithuania. Like that's kind of all the rage right now. And if you want to make those type of beers, please do. I'm not discouraging you from doing so. But when you're trying to learn how to brew beer consistently, you have to want to have a product that you're putting into your beer that you know what it's going to do and so when you have those variables i'm more of on the on the kind of the school that says, Hey, get your brewing process down to what works for you to where you feel like you make good beer for you. And once you're there, then you start to experiment and start to make those changes of things that you don't know what they're going to do. Because if you change one variable and you have 99% of the other variables all in, all in check and you have a good process, one variable is not going to make as much of a difference, right? right. Uh, and so, uh, you see that a lot with, uh, for example, you know, people doing experimental beers, um, people that have really good processes, their one variable doesn't usually show result if you do a one-off test. But if you have a lot, if you have a lot of bad variables altogether, um, that's when you're going to start running into issues with off flavors, oxidation, uh, another thing when you get, uh, uh, uh is is esters that may not be desirable. So, mm-hmm. for example, uh, with FO if you, 5 if you go too warm, you might get off flavors that are like bananas, which you want it to be a clean beer, not a fruity beer, right? Yeah. Uh, another uh, thing that you might get with warmer flavors would be uh, fusel alcohol. So, uh, you know, a very harsh uh, alcoholic flavor that kind of gives you a kind of alcoholic, f- uh, just Sound a like really
1: like a medicine taste
0: yeah medicine and kind of harsh those are all driven by uh, a kind of uh uh uh, over uh, overheated uh overheated fermentation that can't handle that
1: yeah that happened to my very first all-grain batch that i did of the uh the bass uh recipe Uh, everything went well and i think i fermented it too hot and the yeast went Kind of berserk, and I get all kinds of that fusel alcohol taste on the uh, in there, and it's exactly, like, and it just like I was crushed. <laughs>
0: <laughs> exactly. Well, and that's the idea. So, for example, you know, uh, back to I'm a new brewer. Your your entire process right now as a new brewer is to learn how to ferment, right? We haven't yes. talked about what it's like to go all grain. You're learning how to essentially ferment. And that's why in the olden days you would get like a can of malt extract and they would be like, here you go. It's pre-warped it's pre-hopped just boil it and put it Mm. in bottles and you're ready to go exactly because in the end you're just learning how to ferment at this process because once you learn how to ferment and to ferment things well then you can kind of get into oh hey what is mashing what are the next steps of 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 the all grain process and Mm -hmm. you start to gain more control over your all your entire process so when we talk about uh Dry yeast, there's lots of different types of dry yeast. If you want to make lagers and you have fermentation control and can do lagers, there's dry yeast for that. Uh, if you want to make uh, different types of beers, there's a, there is a there is a wide range today of different dry yeast out there that make it so that you can brew a really w- wide range of styles. Uh, saison's and farmhouse styles can be done with dry yeast. Uh, a, a wide array of British styles can be done with r- dry yeast. Uh, you can do a lot of Germans and lager styles. Styles with dry yeast uh, you're not you're limited if you're getting into really specific styles but when it comes to being able to pretty much brew any style of beer out there that you're looking for you're either going to either be able to brew it with dry yeast or you're going to be able to get pretty close to what that would be in reality with dry yeast so it might still be a shortcut but it might be
1: able to get you really close does that make sense as well yeah, it makes sense. And if there's shortcuts and hacks along the way, I know as a new home brewer, I'm always open to taking that advice or learning from other people on what they do to make things work and I may have it see if it works for me. Um, I do know that uh, I like I, I've started using uh, dry yeast. Uh, I've slowly progressed into using liquid yeast just because I find for what I'm doing, they seem to work and just from my, from my very limited experience, uh, they seem to be working well for my process for what I do. Um, but I, I can understand where using a, a ready to roll dry yeast, just drop it in and you're good to go, goes a long way. Um, and I know there's a lot of, even a lot of pro brewers that still use dry yeast for a lot of their beers absolutely and
0: also dry yeast is easy to store uh and you also one thing that is really nice about dry yeast is compared to a liquid yeast is that you also get a lot more cells in a single package of dry yeast in comparison to a single package of liquid yeast on the most part How's so let's uh, so, liquid yeast companies, when they're making yeast in that in the in the process in the in the in the process of actually making yeast, they they tend to keep it down to a hundred billion cells. And with dry yeast, that's a different story because they make it in much larger batches and it's more shelf stable. It, it does have a, li- a longer lifespan, so they're able to make it in larger amounts in a single like for example the amount of effort it takes to make a large batch of dry yeast because it's so uh it's so much more shelf stable uh they can actually afford at the same cost to put more yeast into a single packet and they do and so for example a a a package of dry yeast might have two or three times the amount of cells as a package of liquid yeast your standard liquid yeast i would say your two big companies out there why yeast and white labs um they have the biggest and and by far they have the biggest selection of different types of yeast that they sell okay uh they're they're probably going to have uh th- their their packages only have 100 billion cells and that's why when you get those packages you know people They say you can make a five-gallon batch out of them, and I have just taken a smack pack and thrown it in, and it does work. Um, But it takes a lot longer to get going, and you just don't get the experience you do from creating a starter. Okay. And so uh, for me once you get into liquid yeast and if you are using smack packs from Y yeast or you're using the uh the the pure pitch pouches from white labs i think it's it's really important to understand that when you have a beginning cell count of 100 billion cells you want to make a starter to kind of get things going uh what a starter is is essentially you're just making a really small beer Right. Mm. And so a small beer, as in like maybe a one liter batch of beer. And what you need to make a starter is very little, you need a vessel to put your starter in. Um, and if you, if let's say you don't want to have a whole bunch of equipment or extra equipment, but you do want to make a starter, a great way to do one. And I do them all the time this way when I want to make a really quick starter is I just do what's called a shake starter is you could take a growler. I'm sure you all, all we're all home brewers. So I'm sure we all are beer lovers. We probably all have a growler laying around and you take some, uh, uh dried malt extract. I, I use, oh, I tend to always use a Pilsner, like the lightest, color of dry malt extract i try to get it to around a 1030 to 1040 40 wart um and the way that you figure that out is uh if you have let's say one liter of water it mm-hmm. needs to be 10 percent of that in grams of of uh dme so for example if you have a one liter if you have one liter of liquid you need 100 grams of dme and you have a 1040 40 wart essentially okay uh Yep, you don't need to put hops in it or anything. You're just going to boil it for 15 minutes to get it clean, cool it down to room temperature, and then pour it into a sanitized growler. Then you're going to pitch your yeast packet right into that 1040 wort, and you're going to put the lid on sanitized. Then what you're going to do is as you, and you're going to shake the hell out of it. And then every time you walk by it, let's say you throw it in your kitchen on the counter, every time you walk by it, you're going to crack the lid and let a little air out, seal it back up, and then shake it again. And essentially what you're doing is you're just kind of aggravating it, getting oxygen into it, and you're using this to create, you're, you're trying to get the, the, the starter to build more yeast cells so that when it is time for you to actually go and pitch your yeast into your freshly made batch of beer, you're going to have a, a larger cell, cell count, probably twice as many as you did for that original hundred billion cells so now you're going to take 200 billion cells and you're going to pour it in and the other great thing about doing a starter is that that yeast is going to be very viable it's ready to go it's, it's already kind of in that building stage. And so you're going to go from the time that you pitch your yeast to the time that you see active fermentation a lot faster than if you just take a smack pack out of the fridge, pour it in because it still has to go through that build phase and you're going to have lag. Also, you're going to risk the, uh, the, the yeast getting strained. And if it gets strained, it, you have the possibility of it throwing off off flavors because it might be in too high of a, of a gravity of wort For the yeast count that you put in, because that's also a factor when you're thinking about uh, how many billions of cells am I going to pour in? If you're brewing a big beer, 1060 or above, you want to have a bigger count of yeast than if you're doing a beer that's only 1040.
1: Couldn't you just throw it in an extra smack pack? Just to get those, you could,
0: uh, th- that you could do that, but then you know you're now paying twice the amount of money to have 200 billion right, cells. Right. Uh, an- another option is is there's great companies out there like Imperial Yeast. There's there's a couple local. i mean, Colorado. We have local yeast companies here like uh, Inland Island, and for example, and they actually make yeast at the 200 billion cell count, mm-hmm. and. I've used the Imperial Yeast Smack Packs a bunch. Uh, their price is very similar to a White Lab Smack Pack or a YE Smack Pack. One thing with them is they don't have as wide of a variety of selection, but they do have very high quality yeast. And when you have that 200 billion cell, you can actually skip the starter altogether, just unzip the pack and dump it in. And so for me, uh, they're not a sponsor of this show i should probably i'm probably the only podcast they don't sponsor but the idea is that uh, uh if i were to call them up and say hey uh do i need to make a starter they're going to tell me no and and mean it because every time i've ever used any of their yeast packages i just pour them in and they are instantate. like within six hours mm. i'm seeing i i'll be seeing fermentation very quickly so you know the point i'm trying to make though is that these are some of the processes that you would the things you need to think about when you go to eat liquid yeast. So why would you go through all that hassle for liquid yeast versus dry yeast? Well, here's why is variety, right? So Mm -hmm. we're now past the point in your brewing life where you're like, okay, I've made some pale ales, but I really want to make an amazing lager. Uh, I want to make one that is like a, uh, uh let's say a Munich right? I have a great Munich recipe and it calls for the Southern German lager, lager, uh, white labs yeast in it. And it is an amazing beer. And I make that beer with that yeast every time. And so every time I make that beer, I make a starter and I go through all the process. But the reason is is that I now have a very specific yeast for a very specific beer. And when you want to get a wide variety of yeast, so for example, let's say you wanted to make a specific farmhouse type ale, you're going to have to go with liquid yeast because you have very limited selections in the farmhouse yeast in dry. And so really the world opens up to you in different types of yeast once you go liquid because you have, you know, instead of of going from 15 to 20 different strains you have to pick from once you get into the the liquid yeast world you might have a hundred different strains of brewer's yeast to pick from to really get specifically down to the type of yeast that you want
1: yeah i really did notice that when i started looking around when i was trying to do certain things um the, one of the beers i kind of struggled with um recently was i mean a schwartz beer And I was just like, oh, my God, I don't have what I need to cold crash it. I don't have the means to lager it, right? What am I going to do? So thanks to my friend Google, uh, I went and looked for a hack. And instead of using a liquid German lager yeast, I used a liquid California common ale yeast. And it turned out pretty good.
0: Yeah. And that's what I was saying is earlier, you can use some shortcuts like that with dry yeast to try to get close to the style of beer you're going to make. But let's say you're a competition home brewer. Now you're, you've been a home brewer for uh, a year or two and you've decided, Hey, I want to, I, I, my friends tell me I make a beer. I want to actually send it to a judge and get it done. You, you're going to have to use liquid yeast because now they're talking about getting beers that are a hundred percent true to style. Uh, and at that point, you're going to be, I think you're now forced to have to use liquid yeast mm. because that beer style is going to have a sp- very, very specific yeast for it. And you're going to want to use those yeasts because now we're talking about somebody with a palate that is really going to uh, look at your beer in a very critical manner. And that is a time when you want to really put – and we're talking yeast is only one part of that equation because when you're going into competition – Every aspect of the brewing making process has to be super dialed because you want not only to just win one gold, you want to consistently win gold. Right. And so that is where that comes in is the is now a lot of details that you may have overlooked in your brewing practices have become something that you're going to really want to pay attention to. But that is, you know, further down the road. But like I said, it's completely up to anyone where they are in their brewing journey when it comes to figuring out what is right for them. Mm -hmm. But really the difference between like a dry package of yeast versus a liquid type of yeast. And I think the biggest difference is the advantages of dry yeast is it's easy to brew on a whim and there is a lot of uh, it's easy to store and you're going to get a very consistent product. And it's easy to get consistent product early in your brewing life with, you're using a lot of dry yeast, whereas liquid yeast are going to give you more variety in styles that you can brew because, and, and have them be actually true to style because you have now more variety of yeast that you can use and pick and choose from, but they are a bit more work to actually get into your beer. But that being said, that's a, also a fun process as well. It's, it's kind of getting ready to brew, right? So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the 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 having a starter going the day before brew day is always a good time too.
1: Yeah, I haven't gotten that far into making starters. That, that kind of scares the crap out of me. So usually, what I do is if I have my like um, dry yeast, like you say, you just open it, drop it in. And that's also kind of what I do with my liquid yeast because I use the smack packs like you were talking about from uh, Y-Labs. Uh, but I also use, I think, I don't know if you have Escarpment Laboratories down in Colorado or not. We don't. So that's one that we have here and they have some pretty awesome yeasts as well. Uh, I have been using uh, Yeast Bay because uh, they have a fantastic Vermont uh Vermont style, uh, ale yeast that I've used and they work fantastic. Yeah. These baits uh, great.
0: I actually think that that's a Conan style, right?
1: Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Uh,
0: so that's a great, uh, if you're making a new England IPA, that's a great yeast to use for a new England mm. IPA.
1: Yeah. So like starters scare the crap out of me. I try to keep things as simple as possible. Um, but that's something I really, I guess I really should look at doing cause I read the package, uh, for the for the liquid yeast that you get from like say from Escarpment, why uh, uh, why was it y yeast or and then White Labs, and if they tell you to smack it, you smack it. You should give it a good shake. Then you let it sit while you're outside or wherever you're doing your actual brewing, your mashing, your boiling, and all that. And by the time I get back, it's all warmed up it's ready to roll and i just drop it in as it says but i've but i've never really thought well maybe i should do a starter the night before and i've also been very hesitant about harvesting my yeast afterwards so
0: yeah and so to me harvesting yeast is probably going to be an entire show in itself uh, yeah. my pr- the the idea here for me is to talk about you know good yeast practices for a beginning brewer right yeah. and the, let's dive into this next step so you know you're a little uh hesitant to do a starter and I, and the starter process I just gave you for the shake method is super easy and anybody should feel no, Obligation to or fear to do that. It, it really is an easy way to do a starter and it's going to give you really great results. The other thing out there is, I this is a DIY homebrewing show, mm-hmm. and so I want to talk about a, a DIY project that's a great beginner DIY project that it might be a fun project for somebody who is uh, just starting out, sure. and that is build, building yourself a stir plate. Now, why uh, would you need a stir plate? A stir plate is essentially an automated. Shake method right okay. so the idea is that you're going to create a ball bo- and what it is is it's a box with a rotating uh, magnetic bar underneath the it's, it's got a magnetic bar made out of Teflon that is inside of your starter and you have magnets that are in a box underneath that that spin around mm-hmm. and it basically is a constant stir of your wart and adding oxygen into it constantly to build a super healthy starter. So unlike the shake method, you're just kind of adding oxygen to it. Every time you walk by with a stir plate, you're going to be adding oxygen to it at a constant rate. Cause it's basically going to have a little whirlpool in there at all times, agitating it and putting air into it. You're not going to put an airlock on it. You are just going to put a piece of tin foil over the top of it so that the wort is able you know, the, the process is still sucking air directly into it as that you're in that yeast growth phase, yeast growth phase, which is exactly what you're doing with the shake method, right? So you're still getting the same goals. It's just that uh, a lot of people, uh, I think, at this point, either way is going to work well. But uh, a stir plate is going to give you a, a not even that, but something cool to look at. So it's it's a great project to do. <laughs> so right. let's let's talk about what you need to build one. And st- so you can go down to the homebrew store and you can buy one. I think you can now buy a, a stir plate from anywhere from fifty dollars. When I started, a, a stir plate was about a hundred and fifty dollars, and and basically what I did is I, this was one of my first homebrewing projects. And what I did is I went online and I will send, I will actually set up a parts list in the show notes after this. So if you would like to build your own yeast uh, starter stir plate, I will leave links into the show notes on how to build one. Mm -hmm. But what you're going to do is you can go to Amazon and you're going to buy a 12, uh, a 12 volt uh, computer fan. Right? Uh, doesn't matter, like the size, just big enough that it would cover the bottom of a growler or a, uh, a traditional one's gonna have an Elermeyer flask. And if you yeah. wanna buy one, you can get a two liter Elermeyer flask for about $15 to $20 shipped to you. Uh, you're gonna need a Teflon bar, uh, a Teflon bar that is going to basically do the stirring action within that flask. And they're about $5, and you buy one on eBay. And then you're going to need some rare earth magnets, some really strong ones. I've I've found some really strong small circular ones, some hot glue, and a power supply, a 5-volt power supply to be able to attach or a 12-volt power supply to attach that 12-volt fan. Mm -hmm. And so you plug that into the wall, and you're going to need a project box. And essentially what you're going to do is you're going to take all of these components, and you're basically going to take the project box, and some riser screws and so i will actually put some uh links to like maybe some of the the screw down hardware where and you're basically going to uh take the fan and place it as close to the top of that project box as you can and then you're going to wire the fan you know so that it has power uh you know positive and negative so that when you plug it in the wall the fan spins and on the top of two blades opposite of each other you're going to put two magnets that that's essentially what you're going to do and you're going to place them as close as you can to the top of the the box with just a little bit of space so that that everything has some space to move around, Mm -hmm. but it's still very close to the top. So you're going to use what I use is four screws that are flat topped and I screw them through the top Mm -hmm. and they're long. And then I put the, and I, and I line them up with the holes of the four corners of the fan. And then I put a couple of nuts in there as risers to get them to just the right level off of the, the top of the, of the, the stir plate. Okay, and then it those magnets are going to be strong enough that when you set the glass down, and that space is going to be able to spin that stir plate, that stir bar as it's dropped in, so that you have the the right amount of gap there, and it's magnetically driven. And essentially, what you're going to do there is then wire it up, close up the box, and you now have a stir plate. One other piece of equipment you're going to want in there is there is there's, there's a, a a a small knob in there that you can. They're about $5 that basically the knob is, is an electric, it it changes the voltage of the fan. And so it's, think of it as like a voltage knob that you're going to be able to, as you, turn it down it's going to slow the fan down it's going to speed the fan up and you're going to want to put one of those into this box as well which is why you want to have a a project box for this and so the idea would be you have a project box you'll have a small knob on the front to adjust the speed of the fan so you can adjust the speed of the stir and and then all of that gets wired up within the box and then you're able to have your own built fan driven stir plate
1: that's pretty cool.
0: Yeah, and once you build one of those, you can build it for. I would say the total price is about twenty to twenty-five dollars worth of parts, and it would take you about thirty minutes in time to actually build this. Uh, you've now got a a excluding the Meyer flask, the flask is about 20 bucks itself, but I'm saying for the box itself, you're looking at about 20 to $25. Uh, you would have yourself a nice little homebrewing DIY project that you could actually go out and show your friends and uh, you know, a nice little piece of science uh, sitting on your counter while <laughs> you're uh, well, while, while, while you're making the day before you make a beer and uh, you're out there stirring stuff personally. I haven't used my stir plate in a long time just because uh, right now I do use a lot of dry yeast. And if I don't use dry yeast, I've been using a lot of the Imperial brands, uh, you know, with the 200 billion cells. But yeah. the idea is that when you uh, do need to make a starter, I bust it out. And uh, and that that is I, my my stir plate's been gro- going strong for about eight years now. That's so. pretty
1: impressive. My, I, I'll admit it. I am the least handy guy out there. Uh, if you want something broken, yeah, absolutely, I'm your guy. If you want me to build something, stand back because, yeah, not a good thing.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, the good news is that with this project, this is really simple. There's no soldering, it's a couple of wire nuts. It's not hard to do.
1: Okay. All right. Yeah. Well, me, I'll have to give it a go.
0: Yeah. And so if you're listening to the show and uh, you're, you're, you want to have more information on building your own stir plate, just scroll down to the bottom. I'll have a list of uh, instructions on how to build your own and uh, and a list of parts that you could order to do so. And, uh, you know, other than that, Dan, I, I, I think that... Uh, would you, you have any other questions you have about uh, uh, yeast out there?
1: So I guess my question would be is uh, when you... Because I've listened to your podcast and I listened to how you were, you and your neighbor were uh, going, or describing how you were building your recipes. Do you consider the style or the type of beer when it comes to uh, choosing your yeast?
0: Both. Uh, so, for example, there's a for me, there's a few factors. Hey, is this a batch batchum? Of- beer i'm brewing on a whim and i'm using what i have on hand it's probably getting dry yeast Uh, if this is something i'm using for competition i'm gonna definitely go for the right yeast for the right style of beer down to the exact yeast if i can get let's say i'm going for a specific style and i'm trying to mimic a classic example of that style uh, by a brand i'm gonna try to get as close of a yeast to that brand as i can So I'm on either end when it comes to designing a recipe, but it also depends on what I'm going for. So uh, that that would be my answer to that. And I would say that if you talk to a more experienced brewer, I would say that most of the time they're going to have a very similar answer as well. Okay. Well, sounds great to me. Awesome. Well, Dan, why don't you tell us a bit about uh, uh, where we might, if somebody wanted to go on your homebrewing adventure and uh, kind of follow along uh, learning how to homebrew with you, how how would
1: we find you? Well, you can find me on uh, obviously my podcast, which is available on uh, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. Anywhere you could possibly find a, a really cool podcast, you'll find my adventures in home brewing. Uh, you can find me on Facebook and Instagram, and on Twitter, uh, I'm using uh, my own personal handle, which is at dmp 1120
0: Awesome, and uh, just as an FYI, Dan is a member of my Discord server. So if you hep- head over to the homebrewing DIY uh, website, go to go up and hit the join the discussion button and you can hop on to my discord server. And Dan is also a member there and you could, uh, you could hit him up there as well. to have a chat.
1: It's a good time. Absolutely. Uh, I'm always willing to share what little knowledge I have, but it's also kind of cool to talk to other people when they're first starting out and seeing what the trials and tribulations that they're going through are. Trust me, I've had a lot of bumps in the road from clogged pumps to, uh, almost electrocuting myself, but uh, it's uh, it's been an interesting road. I've been lucky; I haven't almost
0: electrocuted myself yet. Uh, <laughs> there but, you go. You know, you know, when I go electric, uh, that's when it's going to happen,
1: right? Yeah. Well, you know, it was my stupid fault for dropping uh, some liquid down on the ground and cords being where they were, and the wasn't good planning on my part.
0: <laughs> <laughs> did, you, did you? Did you? Did you? Are your are your lines at least uh, GFI? yes the gf everything's
1: gfi uh, uh and you're also, fine oh yeah i'm <laughs> fine but also the the power bar i had was also surge protected so as soon as like the few droplets of water hit it it would the uh it circuit, flipped it flipped the the circuit breaker in the house flipped my wife's going what the hell did you just do and i'm like i'm making beer
0: <laughs> <laughs> and that circuit hey one day i'll tell you the story about how when i was making beer i flooded my basement so it could always Ooh. be worse <laughs>
1: Ooh. i haven't done that one yet <laughs> i still
0: haven't been forgiven by my wife on that <laughs> one so uh well dan thank you so much for coming on the show this week i'd love to you know obviously if you have a subject you want to talk about later and and want to come back on the show we'd love to have you back and uh you know thank you for being on the show
1: Awesome. Well, thank you very much for having me. It's been, it's greatly appreciated. I've learned a lot and, uh, yeah, I'll, I'd be more than happy to come back in the show. If I have any more questions and drop me a line over at my podcast and I'll do what I can to help you out too. Mm-hmm.
0: thank dan for coming on this week's show it was really great to talk to him and he really brought some great questions from a beginning brewer about today's subject of yeast if you'd like to follow the podcast on social media you can find us on any of the social media sites we're on twitter instagram and facebook just look for us at homebrewing diy all one word and that's it for this week and we'll talk to you next week on homebrewing DIY.